Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre podcast. The Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre unites over a thousand world-leading biologists, chemists, physicists, engineers, mathematicians, computer scientists, clinicians, nurses and allied healthcare professionals from across Cambridge and the UK to tackle cancer from every angle. Our mission is to end death and disease caused by cancer through research, treatment and education. We are detecting cancer at its earliest stage and are developing personalised treatments for every patient through facilitating new collaborations and driving the translation of new scientific discoveries into clinical applications to improve patient care. By working together across a range of different disciplines, our members are breaking down the barriers between the laboratory and the clinic, enabling patients to benefit from the very latest innovations in cancer science. special episode of our podcast, we bring you a recording of a live Ask Me Anything event held by our Pancreatic Cancer Programme for World Cancer Day on the 4th of February. The AMA session saw specialists from Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust answering questions that were submitted by members of the public about how pancreatic cancer patients can keep fit. If you have a question that you would like us to answer in a future podcast episode, or if you have ideas for topics that you would like us to discuss in a future series, please let us know by visiting our website at www.crukcambridgecentre.org.uk forward slash podcast. The AMA session was chaired by Laura McGinney, a pancreatic cancer dietitian at Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. I'm now going to hand over to Laura and we hope that you enjoy the event. Hello, good morning. Uh, thank you for joining us on World Cancer Day. Um, my name's Laura. I'll introduce the other panellists shortly. Um, we had a recent webinar in on pancre World Pancreatic Cancer Day that was really interesting and um, lots of different professions involved. And we just thought we would expand on one aspect of the support of people with pancreatic cancer today. Um, so we've got our panel of experts here. I'll let them introduce themselves. Um, Claire? Um, hi, my name is Claire Traub and I'm a specialist occupational therapist. I work in the Enhanced Supportive Care Service at Adam Wicks Hospital in Cambridge. Thank you. Uh, Aideen? Good morning, my name is Aideen Martin and I'm the Surgical Physiotherapy Team Lead here in Adam Brooks Hospital in Cambridge. And Nick? Yeah, hello, my name is Nicola Day. Um, I'm a clinical specialist physiotherapist in oncology rehab and exercise here at Adam Brooks, and I run something called the REACT programme, which is rehabilitation and exercise during Adam Brooks cancer treatment. So um, my name is Laura McGinney. I'm a specialist pancreatic cancer dietitian um, at Adam Brooks in Cambridge. So I look after people anywhere uh, along their treatment journey from suspected diagnosis through any treatment and beyond that. Um, and mainly supporting the nutritional status of people with pancreatic cancer at whatever stage they're at. So, uh, sorry, I'm losing my screen there. Um, and 
so we talk a lot about helping people to have enough food the right types of foods for what they need um, managing their blood sugar levels if they're going too high or too low and also um, pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy so the enzymes to help people to deal with the nutrition that they're having so that they can digest it and absorb it and make use of it in their bodies um, and we spend a lot of time talking about this but we're very aware that if people, even if there was a perfect diet, if people ate the perfect diet, but then weren't able to move or um, were struggling with knowing sort of how much to move or when to move, that then they're still gonna lose their muscles. So I was really interested to hear in our last discussion about the contributions that our physio colleagues make to this. Um, so Nick, could you tell us um, why it's important that we exercise if we have cancer? Yeah, no, that's that's a great start, actually. And I think if we're going to think about keeping physically active and participating in exercise during cancer treatment, we probably need to go to go back in time a little bit. So a little bit of a, of a history lesson. Historically, if you had a diagnosis of, of cancer in the past, you were very much advised that you should be taking it easy. You know, this, uh, this concept that rest is best. And a lot of people started to become very inactive um, as their treatment started. Um, and that was partly because of clinicians and people like myself who just wanted to wrap you up in cotton wool, didn't want you to overexert yourself. And it's also because of very well-meaning relatives as, as well. Um, and what was started to be noticed is that actually people were surviving cancer but actually were far more at risk of developing other long-term health conditions so things like coronary heart disease things like diabetes people were becoming um obese becoming overweight but they were also becoming osteoporotic as well and researchers and clinicians knew that exercise can actually mitigate can can reduce the chances of developing those four conditions so a lot of people start to have the idea about actually maybe we should try and keep our 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 cancer patients active during treatment um, maybe we should prescribe exercise we should get them doing much more during their treatment and so researchers started putting um trials and studies in place where actually we encourage patients to be physically active participate in regular exercise during their treatment and then the results of those started to come through and actually you know it just it blew everyone's minds really um, we found that uh, patients felt a lot better about themselves during during their treatment they weren't experiencing as many of the treatment related side effects so particularly things like fatigue which I know Claire will speak about shortly um, nausea and vomiting was a lot lower in patients um, who were physically active uh, analgesic analgesic use and actually reported pain scores were much lower uh, quality of life improved anxiety and depression reduced um, there was even a, a sort of a, an immune system response so um, people just tolerated treatment a lot better and then what also started to come out was that um, people were, were were completing their chemotherapy um, they weren't needing to to drop down on some of their cycles um, and also that that has seemed to be having a knock-on effect of their overall prognosis. And for some cancer types, there does seem to be quite a positive association with um, reducing the risk of, of recurrence and metastases in the, in the future. So obviously this got people really excited because of, for our patients on a personal um, level, but also, you know, in, in the UK, the NHS, you know, they're fantastic. If there's something that they can put in place that will then reduce the cost burden on the NHS in the future, then, you know, 
then fantastic really um so that's where a lot of the studies have, have come from and you know in the last sort of 15 20 years there have been it's been an explosion of research sort of thousands of studies looking at different types of exercise at different times during the treatment process and on the whole exercise has been found to be being incredibly safe it's been feasible it's been possible for patients having cancer treatment whether it's chemotherapy radiotherapy or post-surgery to to regularly exercise um, and do do quite well out of it and feel much better for it. What we do know is that a, a mixture of exercise is preferable. So you've got the aerobic side of, uh, of exercise and then also the, the resistance side of things, which is a very long-winded way of me going all the way around the houses and coming back to Laura's, <laughs> Laura's initial question that, you know, for in terms of increasing and improving our patient's muscle strength, then we would want to include exercise programs, which include resistance exercise and that's exercise where you are using a resistance band um, you are using you know your your own body weight your own forces to try and maintain the the muscle strength that you've got if not improve it and try and reverse the effects of of the disease and of the the treatment that you've been going through are there kind of um simple exercises that a non-exercise specialist like a dietitian could suggest to people in clinic or or you know for them to do at home yeah and I think a, a lot of that will come down to the to the individual patient I mean for other clinicians in the setting I always think of it in three different components if you like one aspect of it is actually trying to reduce sedentary behavior in the first place so you know I don't you don't need to sort of be encouraging patients to to go out and jump on a bike and don the lycra or what have you sometimes it's just the simple steps at the beginning you know reducing the amount of sedentary behavior that that patient is, is participating in during the day because we know that that um, is a very strong um <laughs> risk factor if you like for other health related conditions so it goes back to again what I was saying about the um, the inactivity at the, the the initial part of of diagnosis you know I've got patients that say oh I'm you know I'm on the sofa I fancy a cup of tea go to get up off the sofa but my other half's like no 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 it's all right you just you sit down yeah. you know don't you take yeah, it yeah. easy I'll go and get that for you and you know if that's happening throughout the day it just compounds this inactivity so the first thing for me really is about trying to reduce sedentary behavior is trying to get people moving maybe every 40 minutes or so that they should change position they should get up you know they should go go to the toilet they should go and make themselves a cup of tea or you know why don't you do some stretches whilst the kettle's boiling do some deep breathing exercises I have patients go off and they, they do their pelvic floor exercises you know just do something to break up um, that that seated that static behavior then you would encourage patients to become just generally more physically active around the house and you know sometimes that's housework no one likes housework I know but sometimes that is good for you that starts to get the blood flowing starts to get you a little bit out of breath um activities in the in the garden um you know walking up and down stairs rather than necessarily taking taking lifts or, or escalators and then you would encourage patients to think about how they can incorporate exercise into their into their regular routines and that's when you start bringing in aspects of moderate intensity aerobic exercise and then also the resistance programs as well thank you so it's not to worry too much about what you're doing 
it's doing something that's good. Yeah, I think Aideen wanted to contribute there as well. It was just really to echo what Nicola was saying. And I think sometimes people can be put off with the word exercise. And it's really about um, that individualized approach to patients. And and it could be, you tend to have two, type, two kind of um, aspects. You have patients that are already active and participating in their hobbies. And, and, and then patients that, you know, maybe have a bit more of a sedentary lifestyle. And as Nicola said, it's a, about incorporating little bits, like even a sit to stand while the, the ads are on, um, or I re, uh, the, the tea um, example that you use, Nicola, I think is a really good example because you know, people often say, oh, you sit down, I'll get this for you. And it's just about incorporating things that you normally do throughout your life um, your day but trying to increase that so it might be that you take the stairs that extra time during the day to, to help in terms of exercising and, and trying to focus on an exercise that you enjoy as well so it might be gardening might also be housework as Nicola mentioned and um, but really trying to think about what's important to you and, and trying to utilize that towards the the exercise or the physical activity that you pick. Thank you. Um, and what about people who, so um, some people who have pancreatic cancer are offered an operation to treat that cancer. Um, and that's obviously a big undertaking for the person in many ways, including physically. Um, is there anything they can do to prepare specifically for that um, that would yeah. be beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there is, um, it, it has been around for a while, but it, 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 certainly in the last couple of years, the, the word prehabilitation or prehab has just has just exploded. Okay. In oncology, we use it in relation to two sides of things. So you can, you can do prehab before chemotherapy. So trying to get patients fit and well so that they can tolerate their treatment, but also that you can do prehabilitation um, before surgery. And that's trying to get your patient in the optimum condition um, so that they can tolerate the surgery, that there is a reduced likelihood of the post-operative complications that are associated, particularly with the major surgery that pancreatic patients have. Um, and it can also reduce things like length of stay as well. Um, it was actually, they first started looking at it in um, sort of total hip and total knee surgery so the orthopedic surgeries trying mm. to get those patients um, in and out a lot quicker if you like and so that they had much better outcomes after their surgery but then they started to use it um, with other in relation to other other surgical procedures as well so particularly colorectal gynecological um, and uh, things like pancreatic cancer as well so yes it is about trying to optimize that patient as much as possible starting to introduce the concept of being a bit more physically active um, participating in exercise maybe doing some of those resistance exercises so that they won't find it as much of a struggle you know getting in and out of bed hopefully they'll be then up and up and out of bed a lot earlier post-op um, and here at Adambrooks as with a lot of the trusts around the country we've we, we've got a very good prehab program in in place which um, Aideen is is part of and I'm sure can uh, can can enlighten us more on that so um when we think about prehabilitation which as nicola said is is uh, there's a huge shift in terms of our thinking in terms of trying to optimize people um and from uh, for those people that go on to have um surgery in terms of preoperative care um, prehabilitation we're thinking about um 
as we said, trying to increase physical activity, but also to explain the expectations and what to expect on that rehabilitation pathway, if that's the path that they go down. And also looking at things like um, breathing exercises as well, uh, and trying to manage um, physical exercising through to pacing their activities. So there's, there's various different elements that are um, utilized within that prehabilitation um, clinic and setting to try optimize the patient if they go down that particular route towards surgery. Lovely, thank you. And then what about when they've had the surgery? What would you, when would you meet them next? And I think sometimes people are really surprised to see us as early as they do. So we will arrive and see patients and um, it tends to be the first day post-operatively. And um, sometimes people can find that a little bit tricky if they have additional drains or attachments um, post-operatively. But what I would say is, is that this is the normal post-operative course and that the physiotherapist and, and other members of the team will explain everything they're doing before they do anything. And, and do ask questions if you have questions before the physiotherapist um, arrives or ward staff. Um, ask um, if you'd like help in terms of getting up and getting moving after your operation. Um, Post-operatively, what we tend to look at is um, after a general anaesthetic that can um, impact your, your, your breathing and your ability to cough and clear phlegm that might be present post-operatively. So one of the things that we will look at is to make sure that you're able to take a nice deep breath in and able to cough and clear any secretions that you may have. And that's where the prehabilitation side really is, is so beneficial because these are all things that you'll be um, taught in your preoperative setting so that postoperatively you have an understanding and an expectation of what to expect, which I think is really important. And we then look at your um, physical ability in terms of your ability to, to get up and out of the bed and to, and to start mobilizing and walking around your bed space in the ward area. The third aspect we tend to look at is that holistic approach towards patient care. And that's why you'll often be asked what hobbies that you have and, and your home setup so that we can really utilize the resources around us to, to help you get back to doing what you want to do. And also in a, in a setting where you feel like you're supported as well. Lovely, thank you. Um, and so then obviously the for people that are um, able to, to have an operation, the, the operation is still quite a small part of the whole pathway, um, but anywhere along the pathway, fatigue can pop up quite a lot um, as something people struggle with for lots of different reasons. So uh, Claire, I wondered if you could tell us a bit about what people can do to help in that aspect. Um, yeah, thanks, Nora, and I think, you're right, fatigue is a very common problem and cancer-related fatigue is quite prevalent across all cancers. Um, and I tend to see people slightly later on in their journey where fatigue can be quite a significant issue, but it can affect anyone going through treatment. So we know that chemotherapy can cause fatigue, radiotherapy, having cancer itself um, can make people feel more tired. So fatigue is a very um, common issue for people. And I, I think actually, a lot of what I talk about with people is being active and it can sometimes be like a contradiction. You know, I'm feeling exhausted. I'm saying, you know, move more. But actually, we know that being active um, can boost people's appetite, which may give them more fuel for more energy. The endorphins relief, that sense of achievement, a sense of being kind of proactive in their treatment can be really positive and give people energy. It can also improve sleep. So if people are fatigued because they're 
struggling with sleep, it can also be really beneficial. So, but certainly balancing it. And I think, um, so my internet connection is a bit unstable. Um, certainly balancing activity with rest and being efficient in your energy use in other areas. So prioritizing, you know, what you want to spend your limited energy on, planning, you know, how you might do that. Can you ask people for help? Can you rearrange your day or activities to, to make sure you've got the best use of your energy? And pacing yourself as well. And, and pacing is, is not about doing nothing, be slowing things down, breaking activities into smaller tasks and having regular rest breaks. Um, but I think including activity and getting that balance right between activity and rest is really important in fatigue management. Lovely, thank you. It seems to me that um, balance is relevant in, in all our areas, isn't it? In terms of activity and also what you would eat, um, maybe in life in general, I don't know. It's a useful thing. Um, thank you. And then uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to mention about referrals for exercise um, and, and what's available to people, how they would access that. So um, we often get asked um, about this question, which is which is great. And um, one of the things that I would say is is speaking to your oncologist or speaking to your local physiotherapy department, wherever you are within the UK um, or um, throughout the world. Uh, there's lots of different resources that are available. And we talked earlier about kind of individualizing that um, exercise. So it might be that um, you would like a, a gym based um, pro program, it might be that something more online would suit you. It might be that actually it's particular hobbies or um, it might be something closer in your in your village. So it's really about thinking what's in, what kind of um, physical activity or exercise you'd like to do and, and utilizing the resources around you. And um, so that might be that you'd, you'd like to look up gardening and, and um, doing that at home or your local tennis um, club. Um, really, it's about trying to uh, individualise that. Um, and as Claire said, pacing those activities so that you're utilising your energy for the things that you really want to do. Um, in terms of referrals, um, you can obviously go through your um, GP which is an option, um, your oncologist. If you have been an inpatient, the inpatient physiotherapy team will be able to um, highlight different resources within your area. Um, and uh, as Nicola mentioned, she'll be able to, to go on to towards React um, as, a, as a great example um, of uh, different uh, outlets that, that we can utilize around. Um, but it's really important to to try reach out to see what is in your area to tailor that exercise towards you. So I think Nicola, you'll probably be able to explain React and the and the different other referral routes that there are. Yeah, no, thank you, Odine. Um, I'll, I'll try link in. There has been a, a question from Claire as well about um, about sort of online consultations and what's available uh, elsewhere. So as Odine said, you know, the first priority really is to make contact with your, your own um, oncology team um, or specialist nurse because they'll be able to direct you to what is available within, within the trust and then more locally. You know, there has been an explosion of um, exercise pro cancer rehabilitation programs in the last couple of years so when I first started up react in 2016 it was it was quite few and far between there was the odd class here and there um, in various hospitals but there there weren't many sort of bespoke 
bespoke programs but that is now becoming much much more common a lot of hospital trusts will also utilize what's available to them in terms of from the charity side of things so here in Cambridge we've also got some exercise components that are run through the Maggie's charity um, one of the local hospitals so um, in Huntingdon has the Huntingdon Cancer Care Network and they run various exercise programs as well and it can sometimes be things like yoga and Pilates but they are also now getting exercise instructors to sort of offer almost like circuit class setups in in village village halls and what have you so that can often be a good a good port of call and go go from there really um, we mentioned the exercise referral scheme and that is a national initiative um, it's been around for a long time actually it was mainly used for maybe people after their their hip or knee surgery or, or as recovery from from a heart attack or to try and help manage their diabetes or weight and also for, for mental health issues as well but that's when the GP practice subsidizes gym membership at your local council run gyms um, and that's you know it's a fantastic resource because a you're getting getting it subsidized but you're also going and having a session with an ex with an exercise referral instructor who hasn't just done you know a weekend course in how to get fit people fitter they've actually done um, a lot more in-depth training um, normally over sort of 18 months two years working with patients with other health conditions and tailoring exercise programs to that individual so that you're in you're in quite good you're in good safe hands um, and they will they will do a baseline assessment with you and then they will progress you uh, normally over a 12-week period so that's that that's kind of the local sort of face-to-face -face options um, since lockdown um, there has been a trial going on called the safe fit trial um, and that is in partnership with can rehab now can rehab are a fantastic organization um, based in scotland but you know they're across the uk um, and it's where a lot of us uh, exercise uh, cancer rehab professionals if you like do some of our additional training with um, in the UK and uh, they've been doing an online version of some of these exercise uh, consultations and supervised programs online so it's well worth looking up and to see what they have available and of course there are other online resources as well so Macmillan have got some got some videos online can rehab again have got some really lovely videos that you can find on YouTube um, and there are lots of written resources Resources, a lot of the of which are hosted on the the various charities pages as well, and hopefully that covers the the breadth of it really. Because having face to face contact and group exercise isn't everyone's bag. You know, a lot of people do prefer um, they don't want to do a cancer specific class. Um, they they want to be doing things on an individual basis under their own steam, um, but they don't necessarily need to have someone that's kind of on top of them all the all the time. Um, and so that's where some of those resources come in come into play really um, but hopefully you'll find that one of those one of those suits you um, in terms of what we offer with with react you know in non-covid times we we have a lot of uh, aerobic cardio sessions running per week plus some pilates some yoga we've had some zumba classes we have strength and conditioning um, and lower level balance 
classes as well all of those are still a little bit up in the air we're doing a lot of the the one-to-one face-to-face work but not so much of the classes because we are working with a, an immunocompromised group of group of individuals but we do do online consultations um, for us it's anyone that comes through that has uh, has had some form of treatment through Adam Brooks even if it was it was fleeting um then then we are happy to see you within react but there are also private practitioners around um that that are available if you have private healthcare, then nuffield and genesis um they also offer um exercise exercise interventions that might give you some other sources of information there thank you so that's, um, I'm just reading the question which Claire's kindly, not our Claire here, has submitted. Um, so I think that answers that. Do you offer online consultations to patients being treated non-operatively outside of the Cambridge area uh, to discuss individual activity concerns? Yeah, so that, that again, it, for us, for REACT, there needs to have been some component of treatment through through Adam Brooks um, but it, to me it doesn't matter whether you've had surgery you've not had surgery whether you had chemo no chemo radiotherapy or, or any of the other weird and wonderful um, treatments that are, that are coming through that's that's not an issue um, just for our referral process it's it's Adam Brooks patients only okay thank you Aideen did you have a it was just to mention that um, some classes that you might have, especially if they're, they're run by a leisure centre, might have um, a, a small payment to pay for the classes. And it's just to highlight that um, there is sometimes funds available to, to help with this. Um, so really, it, it's trying to make exercise as accessible to, to everyone as possible. So, and um, if you would like to, to ask more about that, really um, getting in contact with your specialist nurse, um, as we mentioned before, they'll be able to tell you any available funding um, for, for things like this. Thank you. That's useful to know. Um, Sorry, so, Laura. So, yeah. No, I couldn't find that raise hand button again. Um, what I was um, going to say with that, with the exercise referral scheme, the key is in the title. You need to have a referral um, and that can be done by the GPs, the, the practice nurses, the specialist nurses, the oncologists or the, or the physiotherapists as well. So it can be either within the acute trust or under your kind of your local, local GP practice. Thank you. Um, I'm just looking at some of the questions that are coming in here. So I'm going to um, read the next one out. Um, I am, this is from Mike. I am 79 and have had pancreatic cancer for two and a half years. Just ended the second chemo course. My exercise has been a 20 minute walk around the streets two or three times a week. I've been timing the walk and trying to improve my PB, but my oncologist said not to do the timing and just stroll. I feel my heart and lungs are healthy and want to keep them that way. Any comments? Yep, so I would like to answer that. So mm -hmm. hi, Mike, thank you for your for your question. Um, I think there's two aspects to, to that, that question really. Um, the first thing is that, I mean, congratulations because you are doing brilliantly so it sounds like you're doing really really well um what i would like you to think about is when you are going out for that walk you know how 
how intensely do you feel that you are you are exercising? Because a lot of the evidence does suggest that the people that get the most benefit are those that are able to do moderate intensity exercise. So that's exercise where you feel that your heart and your lungs are having to having to work a little bit harder. Um, you might feel that your heart's pumping slightly faster. Um, you may feel that you're slightly short of breath, a little bit warm, a little bit sweaty. Um, but you shouldn't feel that you're gasping for breath. You shouldn't feel that you're not able to talk in full sentences. So that might be the thing to think about first. You know, are you feeling like you're working somewhat hard when you are going on that walk? And if you're not, what can you do to try and mix that up? Now, most people's their default, they would think, right, okay, I'll speed up. Um, but, you know, if you've got a knee problem or a back problem or something else like that, going faster might just aggravate another condition. You know, is there something else you can do? And one thing that I like to encourage my patients to do is to actually go out with something in each hand. And that could be a small water bottle. Okay. Um, so that when they go out, normally your arms swing a little bit anyway, when you're walking, but having something in your hands, your, the, the swing is much more exaggerated. Okay. Now what that means is that when you go for your walk, not only have your heart and lungs got to, to pump a little bit harder to get the, the oxygenated blood to the muscles in the legs. Now they've also got to get that oxygenated blood to the muscles in your arms as well. And so your body responds, you start taking slightly deeper breaths to get more oxygen in your heart starts beating that little bit quicker to get that oxygenated blood um, around to the arms and the legs at the same time. And that's a really simple way of just tweaking what you're doing so that you are now definitely working at a moderate intensity exercise whilst you're doing that particular activity. Um, interval training as well. So that sounds very daunting. I don't want you to think about Joe Wicks leaping around his living room during uh, during lockdown or anything, but you could build that into what you're doing as well. So for example, when you're going on your walk with or without the, the bottles of water, you think, right, okay, between this point here and that lamppost in the distance or the next tree I'm going to walk at a slightly faster pace and then when I get to that tree I'm just going to go back to walk at my normal pace again okay but then when I get to the 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 edge of the field or the post box that's when I'm going to pick up speed again so you've got this fast slow fast slow and that's a really lovely way of introducing moderate intensity exercise to to a, a normal a normal walk Okay, um, we're talking about walk, walking in, in this example. For some people, walking isn't their go to exercise. And it might be, again, going back to activities around the house and around the garden, that that's enough for them to feel that they're working at a moderate intensity level where they feel that their heart and their lungs are working that little bit harder. Um, and so that's that's absolutely fine. We're just using walking as um, as with Mike's example. The other thing you said about you're trying to improve your your personal best, which are great. That's that's fantastic. What I encourage patients to do is to actually increase the frequency of them doing the exercise. So rather than trying to go faster or going longer on those two to three times a week, why don't you try and add in a fourth walk? OK, so keep the time the same, a 20 minute walk, but go four times a week okay so you increase the frequency of you doing the 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 exercise before you think about increasing the duration okay if you get up to doing it five times a week and you seem to be fine um and you're, you're working at a moderate intensity 
brilliant then why don't you see if you can go for a 25 minute walk now you might need to drop your frequency back down you might need to try that 25 minute walk three times a week until you feel comfortable and then you can try it four times a week then you can try it five times a week and so there's a a sort of a little bit more of a logical progression but I, I do encourage increasing frequency before you increase duration and I would hope that that you would see the benefits of that you'll feel better Um, But also you might find that that does improve your PB as well. I hope that helps. Thank you. In fact, there's in the question, someone has just, uh, Claire has written, it's a really useful response. Thank you, Nicola, for that. That's really helpful. Um, So just to look at the next question, this is from John. Um, I can give some examples of my wife's experiences after bypass surgery, followed by chemotherapy during the six months which she lived after diagnosis, though this was several years ago. Um, It's very clear in my memory. Okay, so that's helpful, obviously, to see um, what in, you know, in real life has helped for people. Um, So we'll have a look through there. I'm not sure we can um, have uh, speaking from the the non-panellists. Um, in the webinar Um, but that's useful Um, I'm also going to look we had some questions submitted in advance so this is um, Sally from Suffolk Um, how best how can you best cope with fatigue during chemotherapy I think Claire would be best Um, yeah I can answer this so Chemotherapy, the fatigue can sometimes come in waves. So sometimes people feel more tired in the days following treatment and then it gets a little bit easier um, in the preceding weeks and then when the treatment again. Um, I think, again, thinking about balance, so those times when you're feeling incredibly fatigued, perhaps um, in those days where it's all feeling a bit much, just trying to put something in the day. So a plan for a very small activity even, Often on those days, I get people reporting, I just, you know, I just spent the whole day in bed or two days in bed, they were a complete wipeout. And understandably, if you're feeling that exhausted, then rest is what you need. But just trying to put something in the day that's gonna give you a boost or make you feel good. And that could be some kind of activity, very gentle, just some stretches in the bed even. Or it could be other things to give you a boost. Um, So speaking with a friend or listening to your favorite music or just spending some time sitting in the garden. So I think even on a day where fatigue is feeling overwhelming, doing something for yourself to give you that boost can be really helpful. And then as fatigue might start to ease or on days when you feel able to a little bit more, again, getting that balance between activity and rest. So trying to be as active as you feel able to, trying to do all the things that, you know, we've just heard about the benefits of trying to be active, um, but certainly not overdoing it. And I often say to people, if you think of your energy like a battery, Um, it can quite easily get drained and then take some time to recover. And what you want to do when you've got low energy or fatigue is really to kind of think about doing an activity and having a bit of a rest. And it's almost like just topping that battery up a bit so that it goes a bit further in the day. So activity, rest, activity, rest, and really breaking your day down like that. Because if you do too much in one go and drain the battery, we all know then when it's completely gone, it just takes quite a while to, to recharge from scratch. And that's when people can maybe have this boom and bust pattern people may have heard of. So when you have a bit of energy and you kind of go, oh, I haven't been asked to do anything for a while, so I'm just going to do everything in one go. And then you have maybe a couple of days when you're just feeling really quite ill with the fatigue. And that's that real pattern of um, kind of overdoing it and then and then having to recover. So getting that balance, thinking about what can I do that's going to be 
positive for me, some kind of activity, something for my mental well-being as well. Um, so again, I think when I'm thinking about fatigue management for people, it's not just about the, the kind of physical, what I'm able to do, but managing that mental exhaustion. So the three pillars for me are being active, very important to your best of your ability, um, managing your energy. Um, so we talk about the principles of energy conservation, prioritizing and planning and pacing what you're doing. And then managing mental exhaustion. So perhaps looking at relaxation or talking to people around you so you don't feel overwhelmed. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, that's really useful. It's definitely something um, people tell me in clinic that um, they had a good day, you know, so different people have a good, different good day in their in their chemotherapy schedule. Um, and that good day, they've packed all the socialising in and seeing the grandchildren or, you know, all the things that they want to do. And then you've got the recovery from chemo, but you've also got recovery from the good day because you felt, you know, and it's really hard to hold back, isn't it? And not do things on the days when you are feeling good. Um, and there's all those things that you want to do. So it, it's hard, I guess, to get that balance there. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, a lot of people tell me how frustrating it is to feel like they have to hold back because when people are told to pace themselves, it, it does feel like they're told not to do what they want to do. Mm. But what I say to people is rather than having one really good day and then a number of days where you're paying for it is to try and hold back so you can have three quite good days. So yeah, you're still yeah. doing a little bit every day rather than having that really good day and then I can't do anything. So just yeah. holding back and keeping a little bit in reserve so that you can get up and do something the next day as well. And that does take a bit of planning often. And um, and yeah, just thinking about, again, that battery, keeping a little bit of reserve. So if something comes up, you've got energy if you need to, but just knowing that you've got a bit for the next day as well. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you. Um, the next question is from another Claire. Um, so uh, when it comes to diet, does pancreatic enzyme production return after successful chemo such as so that creon is not required? So um, that's not a that's not a one size fits all sort of answer. Um, it whether you need enzyme replacement therapy depends on um, your own pancreatic function, which does decline as we progress through our lives anyway. So um, your years contribute to that, um, but also where your tumour might be. Um, a way I sometimes describe it to people is if you have um, a breakdown on a country road somewhere, it doesn't tend to have so much impact to the global traffic system in the area. But if you have a breakdown on a motorway, then it's going to have a much more of a knock on effect. And the ducts in your pancreas where you have um, there's a main duct that runs through the middle of the pancreas that delivers the, the enzymes that your pancreas produces into your bowel where it mixes with the food so that it can digest the food. Um, and there's all these branch ducts leading in. So the, you know, the kind of rural roads leading into the main road. Um, so if you, if your tumor is near your bowel, then you're going to have more problems delivering the enzymes that you need into your bowel. And also if it's near the duct and blocking the duct and things. Um, so that would have an impact as to what your tumor did. And if it was shrinking away from the duct, then that might possibly have an impact. We really want to help people to optimize their nutrition. And um, so, uh, 
sorry, the question, what is Creon? So Creon is one of the examples of the pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy that people use to replace when they're not producing enough of their own digestive enzymes. Um, so we want to optimize people's nutrition. So the, the enzymes that we take help us to digest the food so that it's broken down into pieces small enough that we can absorb it into our bowel, in through the wall of our bowel, into our body where it can nourish us. Um, and in someone that's already got the extra challenges that pancreatic cancer brings to your body, I think we want to optimize. Um, I guess we don't want to sort of, it, you know, if you were to take digestive enzymes, then you wouldn't, um, and you didn't need them, it's not really harmful apart from sort of the needing to take them. Um, so we would usually err on the side of taking them so that your body's not missing out on things. Um, there is a stool test that we can do that looks at your pancreatic function. It looks at a surrogate marker for digestive enzymes. And so that's something that we could do for you or your GP can do to look at your pancreatic function. But as our pancreatic function does decline as we go through life, I'd have a very low threshold for recommending um, taking it again. Definitely, if you're one of our patients and you want to call us, um, we can discuss sort of individually for you what's best as well. I know a lot of people don't normally take um, any tablets throughout their whole life. And so then having something that you need to take every time you eat is hard and it's a big adjustment. Um, and for some people, it's a reminder that your body's not 100% functioning the way you want it to. And they don't want that reminder throughout the day. And that's really understandable. Um, for some people, they find that, um, you know, just as when you're a child, you didn't used to um, use cutlery um, and now you don't think about using cutlery, that you don't think about taking your enzymes or, you you know, uh, people didn't used to wear seatbelts in the cars, the other example I sometimes give. And now your brain doesn't get involved in putting the seatbelt on, you just sort of do it without thinking. And that's how some people describe taking their, their enzyme capsules um so i haven't had anyone that i can recall where they've finished chemo and we've checked their it's called fecal astase the the stool sample to see whether they're producing enough of their own digestive enzymes and they were and we and we stopped taking them um but that is absolutely something that we could do if you wanted to try if your tumor is nearer the tail then um it's more likely that that you'll manage without them I've waffled a bit there. Um, so the next one is um, from John. Managing blood sugars during exercise can be difficult. Any suggestions? Um, so I suppose that I must, I am making the assumption there that that is someone who's got diabetes um, because it's going to be harder, uh, sort of more challenging if, if you've got diabetes than if you don't. Um, so, Everyone will respond differently and people have different um, different insulin regimens maybe or medications that would help someone to balance their blood sugars and different blood sugar goals as well. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, if you're on insulin, then there's a possibility that your blood sugars could go too low and that would 
not be so safe. So particularly if you're doing a new exercise um, or you're new to exercising, then it would be important not to be somewhere on your own and you would need to take your blood sugar monitor with you and um, some hypo treatment for if your blood sugars go too low so that you can bring it up uh, more quickly. Um, so you would also need to measure your blood sugars more regularly when you're first exercising. I am making the assumption here that you have a blood sugar monitor. Um, and I think in this context you would. So um, having some kind of starchy food one to two hours before you do your activity will help you to um, have more um, of the sugars available to sort of maintain you as you go through normal recommendation is that you if you're exercising for an hour and a half or less you don't need to take you don't necessarily need to eat while you're exercising but your experience may well be different your body may respond differently um so having something which they call high gi <clears throat> excuse my voice is failing me a little um so it's um more easily accessible so the so the nutrition is in the form of glucose or fructose um which would sometimes if you buy things, it can say on the label so you can see what they are, then that would help you to keep your blood sugar levels up while you're, while you're exercising. Excuse me. Um, um, and then after you've exercised as well to make sure that you have some protein and you have um, some starches to replete the, the sugars that are in your blood. I think it's hard to give specifics about um, specific foods, uh, but something that would be sugary, if you feel that your blood sugar is going low, you must definitely have that with you. So Jelly Babies is the, is the kind of um, most well-known one that people would have just to make sure that your blood sugar doesn't drop too low. Um, I'm aware that we have been talking for the best part of an hour here. Um, I'll just have another quick look at the questions that were submitted in advance. Um, so one of them is similar to that I've just been talking about. Um, and one of them, again, is just similar to uh, the one I mentioned earlier about the enzyme replacement therapy. So Fran from Cambridgeshire mentioned, I'm currently taking Creon, which is one of the digestive enzyme um, preparations with meals and snacks, uh, not being a fan of medication and having undergone chemotherapy, I'd like to know if continuing the medication is essential. I think I've mentioned that, but um, the consequences of needing the medication and not taking it can be that you get wind, bloating, changes to your bowel habit that's uncomfortable, but it can also mean you're not fully nourished by what you've eaten. So if you're looking at what nutrition you need and you could eat, you know, amazingly balanced meals, but if it goes in your mouth, stays in that tube all the way through and you pass it down the pan and it doesn't actually nourish you, then you're not getting the full benefit of it. So that would be um, the impact it might have on your bones or all the other things, the reasons why we have a, a balanced diet. Um, I'm going to just have a quick look here at some of the, oh, some of the questions because I think we've got just a few minutes left. We might have time for one more question. Um, oh, sorry. Are there any general tips for fatigue management? 
um, not just for people with cancer, because the pandemic seems to have left people feeling more drained at the moment. I don't know, Claire, have you got something there? Um, yeah, I mean, I could tell you about fatigue management. So perhaps if, if people want more advice, um, we could always run another one of these um, more specifically on, on fatigue if, if helpful. Um, but as I said, I, I think that getting that balance right, and I know I say balance a lot, but it really is thinking about using energy efficiently. So kind of building energy efficiency and thinking, how can I conserve my energy where possible? Can I, can I sit down when I rather than stand when I, you know, when I'm chopping the vegetables or waiting for the kettle to boil or having a, having a wash. Um, so just being a little bit more mindful of how we're using our energy. And maybe for the general population, I think sometimes we can not realize how much energy we're using through thinking about things and worrying about things and being constantly distracted by all the different screens and, and noises around us. And sometimes just having a little bit of time away from those can be really positive because it just gives everything a break, your body a rest, your mind a rest. Um, so we don't always realize how our battery is being drained and often it can just be from the, the overwhelming stimulus of day-to-day -day life. So sometimes reducing those if possible, having some time away, having some quiet time, turning screens off, turning phones off for a period of the day if you're able to do that can be quite helpful. Um, but I mean, it's what we're here to talk about really, being active is such a key part in fatigue management. And like Nicola said, it, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean exercise. And I speak to people who seem to be quite scared of the word exercise when they're fatigued, but I explain that I just mean activity. And again, Nicola said about doing things around the house, housework, gardening, going for a walk with a friend, you know, wandering around a garden center, all these things can be enjoyable activities or activities that you need to do anyway. And it's just thinking about how you can be more active in your daily life whilst not overdoing it. So keeping that little bit in reserve um, where possible as well. Thank you. Nicola, did you have something you wanted to add? Um, well, it, it wasn't in relation to that. I think one of the, the questions that had come through earlier had been um, about were there any exercises that you, you shouldn't do if you're having pancreatic cancer? Um, and actually, it, the simple answer is no, not, not really. A lot of the restrictions um, are with regards to sort of people's individual circumstances um, and other health related related conditions I'd probably say to avoid contact sports um, that would probably be, be a given um, but even then there's ways of getting around it so if you take rugby for example you know we'd have patients that would go in and and could participate in some rugby training but not necessarily the contact side of the of the support I guess the only activity that there is a question mark over is is about swimming um, and generally I don't encourage swimming within six weeks of of having radiotherapy surgery or or during during chemotherapy during and after chemotherapy I would say now we do have some patients that swim throughout their chemotherapy um, they've often been given special sort of permission if you like by their their oncology team and they're often the patients that do actually um, have access to to a private pool as well so therefore the the risk of infection is deemed to be much much lower um but on the whole people wait for at least six weeks and certainly if there was a drain or an open wound or anything like that then you would probably be steering clear of it for for just that little bit little bit longer but i just thought we would put that 
put that out there but there's plenty of other forms of 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 exercise and act, activity that can be can be done and you know let's not forget about things like tai chi and pilates and yoga all of which have been shown to be um safe in the oncology population and have benefits for the oncology population as well so it's really important and that's that, that it's just personal preference as to which one which one you want to want to do thank you that's really helpful because i think it's useful to know uh what not to avoid if you know uh, if there's things to avoid thank you um i think we only have a few minutes left um so i'm sorry that we haven't been able to answer all of the questions everyone's had um we will try we will um collect them together and try and feed back to you um the answers to those questions at a later date um so i wanted to thank you all that have joined us and obviously our panel and uh, cr uk for for hosting us um i feel like listening to everyone there's probably a few sort of themes that run through all the specialties like we mentioned earlier trying to balance things not too much of activity not too much of rest not feast and famine kind of in terms of your eating as well so trying to get those balanced sort of things through the day choosing something that you enjoy in terms of your activity in terms of your rest in terms of your your food um and and pacing yourself as you go through with all of those things as well um we would be really interested in any feedback that you have um with regards to maybe what we've discussed today or what you might like to hear about more in the future we considered whether it might be useful to do a series of small podcasts on different topics that people could then access um, at a time that's useful to them uh, there's often a lot of information when you come to a clinic and sometimes people can't bring their relatives because of covid or because of you know other people's timetables and things and it might be something people might like to listen to in their own sort of time and space so if there is anything any feedback you've got for us any other topics or anything uh, we'd be really grateful to hear um okay so thank you all very much happy world cancer day <laughs>